And there's a number of titles. I mean, what worship looks like could be a title, um, or what worship does, um, or perhaps what happens when we truly worship. And I started asking questions, what, what would motivate me to worship? What motivates you to worship? Now, I want you to think bigger than just singing songs or how we use a generic word worship service, but what might motivate me for worship? What, what, would, what would worship mean for me? What prompts me to worship? Because it's much more than a song. Worship is actually where we encounter Jesus. Worship is where we actually, um, particularly if we worship um, God as, as followers of Christ, it's where we encounter Jesus, it's where change happens. And I want to look at this morning at what happens when we worship, what happens when we focus on Jesus, when we decide that He is worth it, when we surrender. And I want to use a scripture this morning in Luke chapter 7, and um, we've got it up there, I believe, and um, you will know this story. Um, you'll remember it. And let me just read with you, have a look on your phones or in your Bible or have a look on the screen. Luke chapter 7 verse 36 will begin. And um, it's entitled where Jesus anoints a sinful woman. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured the perfume, clearly from that alabaster jar, on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were really a prophet, he would know who is touching him. And what kind of woman that she is, that she's a sinner. And Jesus answered him. Interesting how Jesus answered him, but he said it to himself. So careful when you think to yourself. Jesus answered him, Simon, I've something to tell you. Well, tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back. So he forgave the debt of both. Now, which, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We probably, you've probably heard that story a number of times before. You might have even read it before. But what happened here was an act of worship. There are many ways to worship. We, we do them in singing. We do them in many ways. But what happened here in this story was an act of worship. 
Worship involves many things and it can change many things. And so I just want to have a look at the story and just to, to lead you through the story, just a few thoughts, not long, and talk about what is worship. Worship is a conscious decision. You don't just stumble into worship. It doesn't just happen because it's programmed. It's a conscious decision. If you have a look at verse 37, a woman who lived in that town, who lived a sinful life, learnt that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there. She heard and then she went. Now, I don't know whether, you know, Jesus was a great teacher, so I'm guessing there was a bit of a reputation. I'm guessing people heard that this man was great. He forgives sins. He heals. Um, perhaps she'd also heard that he raised from the dead. But she heard that Jesus was in town. She heard that he was around. He had a reputation. And so she decided to go. She made a decision. She knew that she needed change in her life. She knew that she needed what this rabbi uh, had and she knew that she had to go and see him. And it's an all-of-life decision. You give everything, she gave everything that she had. Her reputation, clearly, it says there, a woman that lived a sinful life. Now, clearly, they knew who she was. Clearly, she wasn't a woman of a stand-up, she wasn't, didn't have a stand-up reputation. She wasn't somebody um, that was an elder in the church or a prophetess or a woman of standing. She had a reputation. With that reputation in that society, there would have been many, many problems. There would have been a bunch of rejection. In fact, it might have been rejection that got her to where she was. But you can imagine a woman who was a sinful person and if your community knew that, if you were a prostitute and your community knew that, you would have dealt with a lot of issues, a lot of judgment, a lot of rejection. Her reputation would have gone before her. And regardless of that, she made an all of life, she threw it all in there and said, I am going. I'm going and I'm going to offer the perfume. So worship is a conscious and an all of life decision. When you're really going to surrender, when you're really going to worship, you put what you've got into it. You don't just rock up because it's on the schedule. In the presence of Jesus, the presence of God, worship removes fear. We're still in that, we're still in that verse, verse 37. She goes into the Pharisee's house. Now, culturally, that would have been enormously difficult. I don't know whether the Pharisees had guards on the doors or, or anything like that, but culturally, that would have been huge. A woman with a sinful reputation, known as a prostitute, a Pharisee who's a stand-up guy with a good reputation in town, she's not going to spend a lot of time in his house. She's not going to get easy access. She was not invited to the dinner, obviously. Clearly not. And so she had to make a decision to get, get, get rid of the fear of what happens if I go into this Pharisee's house. What will they say if I try to get in and see Jesus? They're not going to let me in. Or what, what, what's going to happen? This Pharisee is going to get really angry with me if I get into his house. But a decision to worship God removes fear of what will people say. You know, you know what I'm talking about. You know when you're called to worship and, that, and this thought, of what will people say? What will happen if I do that? She walked into the Pharisee's house and she went into his presence, into Jesus' presence. So worship is a conscious decision. It's an all-of-life decision. It removes fear. It's a decision that you make. And I think if you look at verse 38, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair. 
kissed them and poured perfume on them. You can't get into the presence of God. You can't worship without having a response to the presence of God. You know, why was she weeping? Why would she have cried? She would have recognized that here is the rabbi. Here is the one who is worth worship. And here am I, broken, sinful. Here am I, someone with a bad reputation. Here am I, that doesn't deserve to be in the presence of God. And he's speaking about forgiveness. He's preaching about this new kingdom. Here am I, I don't fit in this kingdom. And so she cries. She responds. She takes the the perfume She begins to wet his feet. She begins to wash his feet. And it's interesting, as you look look further into that verse, when you think about the cultural implications of what she was doing there, worship for her broke all the kind of cultural norms and rules of her surroundings. Think about it. She's wetting his feet. What did Jesus say to the Pharisee a little bit later on about his feet? You didn't even wash them. You didn't do anything. You know, in those days they walked on dusty roads and when they came into a house, the first thing a host did was, was to clean your feet because you didn't just walk through dust because that same dust that you walked through, the oxen and the cows and the camels and everyone walked through and they don't go to the toilet on the side of the road. They go. So when you walked, you never knew what was. Your feet were unclean in that culture. Feet were the unclean part of the body. And so you washed them. And, and so she begins to wash his feet with her tears. But here's another cultural thing. She wipes his feet with her hair. Does anyone remember what, what, what is the hair of a woman? What does the Bible say the hair of a woman is? It's her glory. And so you get this picture. Think of that. You get her glory washing his uncleanness. So there's this sense where worship kind of breaks through some of all of those norms, where this recognition that I'm in the presence of the the King of Kings, someone who can change my life, someone who can bring me freedom. And I will wash his feet. And there isn't a length that I won't go to. I will use my hair to dry his feet. I don't care if my hair touches his unclean feet. So all these norms that she breaks through, she goes into a Pharisee's house. Culturally, that's bad. That's a no-no. She kisses his feet. They're unclean. She wipes and washes his feet. She dries his feet with her hair, the glory of the woman. You see, when we worship the king, when we make a decision to worship, cultural norms, habits, traditions, the way we do things goes out the window because we're really worshipping the king of kings and we worship the way that he demands, uh, he asks, and we worship in response to our life and what's going on in our life. It's a fantastic picture of what she was prepared to do. And in verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, if this man was a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is. I love that line because Jesus paid no regard to that. You see, worship is a place where the imperfect can touch the perfect. Where the imperfect can meet the perfect. And where the perfect can begin to overlay the imperfect. Where the natural connects with the supernatural. 
where the brokenness can connect with the whole, where the unclean can connect with the dirty, or where the unclean can connect with the clean, with the pure. Worship is a place where imperfect touches perfect. And this Pharisee didn't even know he was saying that. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew who this woman was. But he also knew that she was there to worship him. He also knew that she was there to bring him what she had and that he was going to overlay that. And we see that later on. Worship can also be an act of giving and it can cost. You can see in verse 46, if you jump a little bit further down, and, and all of those things were actually a bit further, even further forward when he says to Simon, he says, you know, you didn't, water, you didn't wash my feet, you didn't kiss me, you didn't put oil on my head. All of those things, she did all of those things. Worship can cost. It can cost a kiss. It can cost washing feet. It can cost perfume. Somewhere else in the Word, uh, you hear about these alabaster jars of perfume, that that perfume can cost a lot. I wouldn't want to guess uh, there are different estimates. It could be a month's wages. It could be a year's wages. But it was very expensive. In another story, one of the disciples complained at someone pouring perfume out, didn't they? They said, well, gee, you know, that could have fed the poor for forever. Worship can cost. Worship can be expensive. It can cost you... Um, you, you, could be, you could be embarrassed. It could cost you financially. It could cost you your time. It could cost you uh, an act of service. And the Pharisee was cheap, wasn't he? He didn't even wash Jesus' feet. He didn't have anything. And so you wonder if the Pharisee recognized who he was in the presence of. Worship is also a place of healing and forgiveness. In verse 47, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little in surrender in worship forgiveness is given great love brings forgiveness god's great love for us by sending jesus to die on the cross by sending jesus to take our place because we put ourselves in god's place he sent jesus and jesus put himself in our place because of that great love we've been forgiven and this woman gets to experience that from Jesus' mouth right there and then. I don't know how much was in her past. I don't know how much she was thinking, you know what, I've done so many things. It's going to take me years to get forgiven. It's going to take me heaps of work to, to win back favor with God. You know, do you ever think like that? Do you ever think, you know, that, yeah, look, I, I believe it, that you know, Jesus died for my sins, and it, but I've really, I have this feeling that I've got to work my way back into God's favor. She didn't have to do that didn't take a years. Jesus' great love is enough. And when we go to him in worship, when we, when we take our brokenness, when you take your life, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything you've got, when you take that into the presence of God, when you take that and worship him, recognizing, because that's what you did, that, that he's the king, that I need you. I need you, Jesus, because I've tried it by myself and I've tried so many things. I've tried to live my own life and it's just not working. And you get to a point where you've come to the end of yourself. She'd come to the end of herself. And so she goes to Jesus and gives everything she's got and says, I need you 
I'm just going to throw myself at you. And worship is a place of healing and forgiveness. Have you ever thought about that with worship? We often use terminology like worship is giving praise to God. Worship is coming into God's presence. And those are all true. But when you're broken, when you're hurting, and when you get into the presence of the King of Kings, you can expect healing and forgiveness when you surrender in worship to God. And so worship becomes a life-changing place, a course-changing, a life-course-changing place. Now Jesus said to her in verse 48, right at the end, your sins are forgiven. Then he says in 50, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Her life would never be the same again after her encounter with Jesus. She now experienced freedom. She was set free from, the, from the, the consequences of her sin. She was set free from the heaviness of guilt. She was set free from that reputation. Because the rabbi, the king of kings, said, you can go in peace. You don't have to go out this door carrying all that stuff anymore. You can go because you recognize who the king is. And the result of worship is freedom. The woman loved much and genuine love leads to a response and that response breaks through many norms because only jesus matters you know worship is not always a a feel-good thing it's not always easy to worship it's not always easy to to come into the presence of god you know she probably had as we said she had lots of issues but she knew that the answers was where jesus was when we, have a, when we have issues, when we struggle in our life, when we have things that aren't going right, when we uh, struggle with guilt, do we know where the answers are? Do we go into the presence of God? Do we go where Jesus is or do we hide from Jesus? You know, my human tendency, you know, is when I know that I'm, there's something not right in my life, and, and I don't know if you can identify this, but when you know there's not something right in your life, when you're dealing with habits or sins or, or things that you know don't add up to the life you're supposed to live in, you don't feel as free to rush into the presence of God and worship Him and, and pray and ask for all sorts of stuff, don't you? Because you know He knows. And you know He knows that you know He knows. And so that freedom is gone. And that's actually what worship does. When you do come into the presence of Jesus, when you do surrender, when you give Him what you've got, when you sacrificially give Him what you've got, there is actually freedom. You don't have to worry about that. People could see by her actions that she was committed. What about us? When we hear that God's in town, when we hear that Jesus is here, when we hear the call to worship, How do we respond? Do you only do it in church because we have worship in church and we sing and we call this a worship service? Do you recognize the Son of God in your life in other places? Do you recognize His significance? Do you recognize your need to worship Him, that you actually need it? Our response to Jesus Our response to Jesus knocking on the door, our response to Jesus reaching out to us every single day, and he does, is an indication of our love. That's a comparison Jesus drew with the Pharisee, isn't it? This is how much he loved me, and this is how much you loved me. 
This is how much she recognized her need for me and who I was. This is how much you did. You clearly didn't think you needed anything from me. In fact, you didn't even honor me. Our response to Jesus is an indication of our love. Are we able to respond to Jesus sacrificially? Pay the price at times with our stuff? Do we dare to break through the norms when God calls you to worship in a particular way? Are you courageous enough to break through the norms? And what will people say? Do we come into the presence of God? Do we come to worship for healing and for forgiveness, recognizing that we need it and that's where I've got to go to get it? And I'll do whatever it takes to get in there. The woman walked away from her encounter with Jesus totally free and changed, never to be the same again. And we can too. We can live in that same freedom. No more burdens. Not carrying all that. Giving them to Jesus, recognizing that we're imperfect, we're unclean, but we get to connect with the perfect. We get to connect with the pure. We get to be overlaid with it so that the impurity isn't even seen anymore. How cool is that? Do we know it when we've encountered the living God? You know, for me, and and I don't know about you, but often we leave God's presence just the same as we came in. What a shame. What a shame that is. When we can walk away changed. And the Bible says we can go from glory to glory with Jesus. But it can cost, and it does. But do you want it? Is it something you desire? Is it something you think, this is what I need. I need this. I need to worship. I know that God calls me to worship, but I need to worship. Somehow I need to give myself. I need to take myself off the number one place and put someone else there and say, you are worth it. And I'm not. True worship, true surrender brings freedom. It means that we're part of the kingdom. It brings us in. We belong. She walked out of that place belonging with eternal life, knowing that she was part of this kingdom that Jesus had been talking about, that Jesus was preaching about, that she didn't have to carry her sin out anymore, that she didn't even have to carry that reputation out anymore, and that whatever people said, whatever people thought, didn't matter anymore because the one who mattered thought she was great. And thought she was forg- and knew that she was forgiven. And sometimes it takes letting go. For me, sometimes it's pride, isn't it? You know, I don't want to let go. I don't want to bear my soul. But it takes letting go, giving it all up to God, knowing that the cross was and is enough for even me, for even my life, and even the things in my life. Through Jesus' work on the cross, we get to walk in that same freedom that she walked in. We get to walk in that same forgiveness. Go in peace because your sins are forgiven. I don't remember them. They're not there anymore. You're 100% with me. A new life. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want that, really? Now, who wouldn't like to walk away from the bank saying, you don't owe us a cent anymore? Who wouldn't like to walk away from an encounter with Jesus saying, 
You're perfect. I love you. You are awesome. Forgiven. Gone. That's what she experienced. That's what came when she made the choice to worship the King of Kings. What choice do we make when we worship the King of Kings? Oh, look, I might sing a few songs. I might move my lips. I might serve at King's at uh, Community Kitchen. I might um, give some money in the offering. I might, um, if it fits in my schedule, if I've got some left over, if I feel like it. Or I might, you know, I might uh, go to Jesus and I might try to cha- ask him to help me change my lifestyle if I want to. What's it worth to you to walk in freedom and say, and hear Jesus say, go in peace. You're forgiven. You know, that's what we celebrate when we, we celebrate Lord's Supper. We, we remember that what Jesus did was enough. We remember that when Jesus came and his body was broken and his blood was shed, that it was enough for us. That it wasn't just enough for those good Christians. It wasn't just enough for those people that, that have kind of lived this really settled and, and steady life that it was enough for all of us. That it was enough to deal with the sins of a woman of reputation, I don't know for how long, who had given herself over and over again to men. That it was enough for the thief that was lying, it was on the cross beside Jesus. That that incident, it was enough for him to be in glory with Jesus that day. That's what we celebrate. Full forgiveness not half not maybe forgiveness not if you walk out the door and you do this and do that and do this that you'll be forgiven full forgiveness that's what we celebrate that we are never the same again because jesus body was broken and his blood was shed for us and this is true for us as well isn't it this is the glorious message of the cross that you and i walk free into eternity because of jesus And that's what we celebrate when we celebrate Lord's Supper as well. We celebrate the woman we read about. We celebrate that she's in in history and she's a testimony to all that Jesus did. We celebrate that it's true and that it's possible for all of us, don't we? We celebrate that, that we join in the party because we say, I want to be a part of that. This is the king I want to worship. This is the one, the one who gave his life for me. This is the one that I want to worship. It was for you, and this is for you. It was for for me, and this is for me. Praise God. Now, if you know that, and if you understand that this morning, that Jesus is your Savior, and you've chosen to belong, and if you want to give your life in worship to Him, you're invited to celebrate with us today. You're invited to remember with us what Jesus did, and all the other stories that came after that, before that and after that. You're invited to reflect on his actions with us, on what Jesus did for my sake, for your sake, for our sake. And so we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, when he was with the disciples, he took the bread and when he'd given thanks for for the bread, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my body that was broken so that you could go free, so that you could walk out the door and say, you know, your sins are forgiven. 
You're free. Go and sin no more. And the same way after they'd eaten, he took the, the cup and um, he said, This is the cup of the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Remember that my blood was shed. Blood is life. The life came out of me so that it could flow into you. And whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. That sounds kind of morbid, doesn't it? You proclaim the Lord's death. You're actually saying, he did that and he did it for me. In an astounded, you proclaim it in an astounded way. You think, he did that for me? Wow, wow, he did that for me. That's the kind of proclamation that we, that we consider. And Jesus said to the disciples, whoever eats and drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, if that woman had have come in there in an unworthy manner and not completely surrendered to God, whoever drinks of this, eats of this bread, drinks of this cup in an unworthy manner, will be guilty against sinning against the blood, body and blood of the Lord. Everyone should examine themselves. Everyone. Before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Because if you eat without discerning the body of Christ, you eat and drink judgment on yourself. And I bet the woman who came in to see Jesus did a fair bit of self-examining before she went into his presence, right? Did a fair bit of, hey, what's this going to take? Sometimes it's worth us doing that, recognizing that, you know, we're going to come into the presence of God in worship and in, in remembering his death and resurrection. It's worth examining and saying, this is what I'm giving up. This is what I'm giving to Jesus and what he did was enough. So I want you to take a moment, to take a few, a few seconds and just ponder. If there's something that you think, you know, I just need to give that to Jesus. We're in a place of worship right now in his presence and I just need to give that to Jesus. I want you to do that now. Heavenly Father, you, you heard our prayers and our words and um, right now I just want to declare that what you did, Jesus, was enough. And as we come into your presence, we come recognizing that we can surrender and give everything to you. Knowing that we walk out with freedom. Lord, as we remember your, your death and resurrection, as we remember your broken body and your shed blood, I pray that there would, that, that there would be a, something that rises up in us. A sense of knowing that this is worship. 